it's not often I meet people that really shake me to the soul, that make me feel like somehow I might have known them in another lifetime. Somebody whose cosmic energy kind of crosses with your own and you feel like, wow, I feel so connected. But that's exactly how I felt the first time I met Stephen T. Wong. He was born in Columbus, Ohio, and has been described as a contrarian, an enigma, going from homeless to studying religions in Israel. Um, his path and his life afforded him to share spaces with political leaders, religious leaders, executives, entrepreneurs of multi-million-dollar companies, and he's an award-winning artist and has shared that space with many personalities and athletes. Of course, he's an accomplished attorney with his own firm. He's a Harvard-certified strategist, and he's a noble artist. I would say he's also humble, but he, he believes that living in one's sort of fullness of oneself is so important. He's been recognized by so many different people as a history maker by Urban One Radio. He's been tapped by Seminole Brand Ambassadors for the Greater Columbus Arts Council. He's also been uh, an Emmy-nominated uh, for City of uh, Columbus Arts Makes Columbus campaign, as well as I know he was invited to the Grammys for one of his performances and some of his music. And he's recognized as one of the super lawyers and in the who's who of all the people you might want to know in Columbus, Ohio. But more importantly, he's a dear friend, and I've had the pl pleasure and privilege to work with him on crafting his beautiful message, Talking to Crows. And this is a conversation about what happens when a book feels like it's written through you and not by you. Welcome to the Authors Who Lead podcast. This podcast is dedicated to you, people who want to be inspired by authors, leaders, and the messages they share. This is such an important podcast to us because we help uncover what goes on behind the scenes when authors are writing their book. We talk about the process. We talk about where they get big ideas. And you can listen in on those conversations. We can't wait for you to join us. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome. Asul Taronis here. I'm so glad to have a dear friend, probably the dearest of friends I've ever had on my podcast today. Stefan, Mr. T. Wong's here. We're talking about his book, Talking to Crows. It's almost indescribable to try to describe this book, but we're going to do our best to describe it as we talk about how it came to be. And Stefan, what's great about this is I, I've thought about this conversation since we first met, that what it would be like to talk about how this book came to be. Because most people that think that they're going to write a book, think I have an idea for a book and then I'll plan it out and then I'll write it. That is not what happened here. <laughs> I would say this was a reluctant writing project at best, because Stefan came here to to work on another project. He just wanted some editing. He just wanted this other project edited, and that's not what went on. So I'm going to let you, Stefan, say, what brought us together so that the people who are listening and watching can understand how a book project may not start or end the way you think? I'm truly honored to be here, beyond honored, um, especially with you. So thank you for the moment. Starting with how this book came to be is, I don't know if that's where you really want to start, but... <laughs> Really, you said it. So I came <laughs> thinking that I was going to find an editor and just draw on that. I was educated right out the gate that uh, there was no single editor and that in and of itself was mind blowing. So that was one shutdown. Then <laughs> after somehow you uh, lulled me into sending over the manuscript, uh, we had this, this like dance, this like mild dance for like, I don't, was it like a year or I don't know. It was more than six months of these random emails. Um, I feel like there were only three to four. I don't feel like it was a lot at, at all. And 
it, it was <laughs> you kept doing this gentle but direct and unknowing of each other. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, what does this mean? And I remember one of the messages is like, <laughs> what are people supposed to get from this? And I remember thinking, what do you mean? Have you not read it? And that was what, but my response was like, uh, let's, I don't know, let's talk about it. It's business, it's law, those type of things. And I remember you asked me to write an intro. And after that, and I thought, the, the intro's there. What are we doing? And, but instead, I just, I did it because I was intrigued. It was, it was like a challenge and it felt genuine. It did not feel, it, it didn't feel like an insult or an attack or like a, it didn't feel like anything. I think the most intriguing part was all of this to find an editor. And so I thought that was really powerful. And so I remember writing it. I remember sharing it with my brother and I remember him, he had already, he had read this piece years ago when I was first conceptualizing and we were walking in Vegas and I said, I'm thinking about writing this when I keep getting these questions or I keep running across these same things with clients and I told him about the concept. He thought it was a great concept. So he had read just stuff here and there. And I remember I sent over that intro and I remember he said, I want to know more about this. And I said, that's interesting. And so I sent it to you and you, I don't remember your exact words, but it was something around, let's talk more about this, or this seems to be something else, something like that. And I can't remember. And from there, that's when it moved completely from that. Um, And I won't even say the name of it because I do plan on still releasing it. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and and uh, I'll probably have someone go forward about how it was trashed by these great uh, publisher publishing groups and, and then it comes to be um, and that I remember was the, like the, the transformative moment um, of us really having a dialogue I think we got on video conference and I don't remember exactly what you said I don't even remember how long the conversation was but I remember it got really deep, really intimate, really quickly. And I remember, I think both of us making a decision of to move, whether to move forward into this space or to just hold and you just provide me a couple of editor thoughts, um, places I could go and look and read up on editors, that type of thing. Um, so it, it was, it, it was a process to get to the process to, to be quite honest. Yeah. You know, and that's when, when you're writing a book, a lot of people think that I need a good idea. And I always try to help people understand, look, that's good ideas are probably the, 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 the most, the biggest enemy towards great work is a good idea. Uh, most ideas start out as just that, an idea. And the more attachment you have to it being good or bad or big or small, it, it can really harm you. So if you think it's too small, you won't take action. If you think it's too big, you might put too much pressure on yourself. If you think it's good, if someone says it's bad, you might believe they're true. So you just, that's why I like to have books birth. And that's when people have called me a book doula or a book wizard, or they've <laughs> called me, what else they call me? A book whisperer. I, I, that's more, a book coach is not the right term because I, I meet other book coaches. I'm like, oh, we're not cut from the same cloth. They tend to be former editors, not really writers per se, and they don't necess- they, they get into structure really quickly. And I'm more of a 
let's wander into a creative space and be curious as opposed to let me help you structure a book. That's like trying to plan what your child's life will be, like their character. You don't get to choose that kind of stuff. Like it just is. You get to direct it. You get to move it, give it form in some way, but you don't, it doesn't come to be that way. And I think a lot of people who write books can misunderstand that writing a book comes from their mind. And I, yes, I know where mind's being used, mm-hmm. but I've observed that books come from deep within you, a soulful part of you. Your mind is a contributor, but books are birth. Books are woven in some cosmic space. I don't know where that is. I'm not that smart, but I know that it's not from the mind. Because if it were, most of us, all the New York Times bestselling books would be from college professors, and they'd be called textbooks. Mm-hmm. Aren't those the best intellectuals, the smartest, quote, people on the planet? But yet, we don't, because we're not moved by information. We're moved by a message that's deeper than the words can possibly hold. The words are holding the idea the best we can. And so when they're birthed in that way, I feel like they're always defined. And I felt like that's what was happening with this book. Because all along, Stefan, you didn't want me to ever say we were writing a book. We're not writing a book, are we? <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay, then I'm, I'm in. If we're writing a book, I'm not. I'm like, okay, no, we're not. Um, and I don't know if that's what you remember. I'm like, okay, we won't write a book. We'll just be curious in this space. You, you mentioned you know, the names of like Book Blue Line and those things. And I remember early in the process, I remember it, for me, it wasn't a book anything. You're absolutely right. It was not a book. I remember talking to you and saying something about it's more sage work for me. <clears throat> and I didn't know what that meant, but you, for me, was you were more of a, a sage than you anything to do with the book. We weren't, we, we weren't, it, it wasn't like, here are the, here's the structure of a good book. Here are the genres, here, here are the techniques. It, it wasn't that, right? It, it was truly this energetic, uh, cosmic type of time that was like carved out and very frozen. And I think for me, I already have an issue with uh, labeling things in general. And so I knew the moment that I knew for myself, if you make this process about creating a very particular output, it's going to shut my intuition down. It's going to shut my openness down because I'm, it'll put me in a box and I have a, I have a hard time with boxes. And so I do, for, more so for me than it was for you, Recall saying repeatedly, I'm not working. I'm not, I'm not working on a book. Yeah. I don't even think of myself in that in that way to to go that route. Like, this is my book. This is something I am doing. And so the best way for me to create frequently in life is to, for me, remain in a place of humility. What that means to me, relatively speaking, allowing myself to be just open to whatever it is not necessarily what an output is or a deliverable looks like or anything like that. And so I think you did an, an incredible, um, I don't want to say job, but you created wonderful space to do that, to wonder, to be curious. And it was that curiosity um, that I think began to reignite things within myself or maybe not reignite, maybe make me more aware um, of things within myself that allowed me, I think, to be more intentional about the channeling. And and that's really how I refer to this work. It's not really my book. It's, I, I channeled something 
hopefully something that touches or helps or companions with someone. But no, I, I still don't feel like we worked on a book. I, I don't. Now I do know once we got into the technicals of it, yes, you showed me where you get really technical. And I was impressed and taken aback, but the, the bulk of the process I felt was almost a spiritual journey. It was, it was, it was nothing less. Yeah. And I definitely think that it was a transformational journey in a way that I don't think we were able to wrestle ourselves away from what it was. Like, I don't think the work itself. So I want to give people context because some people might listen going, what is this book? I, they're, they're talking about it, around it, through it, but I don't have any idea what talking to crows is about. I, I like and compare it to an allegory or a tale that walks you through existence in a way that maybe you weren't paying attention to. We share this in common, you and I, Stefan, that Paulo Coelho's one of our, a dear author to us, mm-hmm. uh, brings magical, the, the magic realm to the words. And it, it really special mm-hmm. to me and the alchemist in particular. And so I compared to that and also to Illusions, the other book by Jonathan Livington Siegel. The idea that it's not a manifesto, it's not even a self-development book, it's not spiritual, but it is. it is, And I would say it has more lyricism and poetry than it does prose, but it has prose as well. I want to read the back blurb because I just want people to understand what this is. Because there's no subtitle to this book, there is no explaining it, you have to experience it. So here's here it is, it says, even this, I showed you the divine, no need to gather, from here or there, no need to wait for things to share, of beauty and strength always there. You are the wonder always dare. No power can reside where within the soul cannot find. Even then, I saw you a child from high, providing you ways, giving you the simplest displays, only to remind you of the real true. In the end, the divine is you. And I was telling you this before we started that I don't try to tell my children, read this, don't read that, because they always push back if I do. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. So I don't expect them to just say yes, but I just left it on their bed. And they said they, they wept when they read that piece. And that really struck me because it calls to you when you're ready to receive it. And I think it called to them. I think what it, the words that were read <clears throat> were divinely inspired. So it was divinely connecting to them mm-hmm. in a way that, I, I have stacks and stacks of books from my clients, and, and very rarely will my children take an interest unless there's something there to, yeah. for them. And I think that's what's great about this book. Now, let's talk about how we wove in a story that, about your life that you didn't want to tell necessarily, because it's not about you. <laughs> <laughs> but we wove in this idea of talking to crows. Now, I know that talking to crows has a meaning yes. to you. I, I just want to know a little bit about your early life. Tell me a little bit about like how did you arrive here as a human? And you told me about when you would walk to school or walk to places that these crows that would be present would speak to you and talk to you and that your mother encouraged it and affirmed it. Like, yeah, they are speaking to you. Now that wasn't something you said, I want to talk about this. In fact, that wasn't even what you said at all. But I was just curious. Now, wait, tell me again what you did. You, you talk to crows. Tell me. So tell you tell them, the listener, what do you mean you're talking to crows? Because most people are like, 
I know they squawk, they make noise, but what do you mean by that? <laughs> it's interesting that you asked that because my, my, I was telling you about my best friend who read the back before uh, over the holiday. And he asked, why gross? And he said that I gently told him to open the book. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that I must have not been in the mood. I don't know. But I did say it's in the invitations in the poem. But I think that I think, which is not in any way a shock, I think people are considering it to be um, more elusive and more animative in that sense. And I shared with him, it's, it's real. Walking to, we came up in, we not in poverty, essentially. And so a part of my childhood was taking our public transportation system to school, to actual elementary school. And me and my mother, we would walk. It was, it was beautiful times for me. Um, I thought it was a wonderful experience. And I remember feeling, I, I loved that time walking with her to school. And little did I know, um, she was training me. She was preparing me to take these kind of independent routes and she was testing me. I found out years later that she was testing me to see what I would do, how I could literally walk on my own, which I actually found other cultures do the same. Someone sent me a, a documentary some time ago, and I, it was indicative of, of how I had lived as well. And I don't remember how long she rode with me and how long she walked with me. But in, immediately at the gate, when we got off the bus, we walked down the street. And it literally was probably a mile maybe more. I, I would have to go back to that area and do the, do the math. But there were literal crows. There were these huge trees along the street. They were all so old. And I remember vividly hearing the call. And my mother, when I asked, when I said something to her, I, to me, they, I could understand them. They were my friends. They were my family. They were speaking directly to me in the most literal sense. And I remember saying it to my mom. I remember saying, These, you know, you hear the, the crows are talking, like they're talking to me. And she did the opposite of what I think others would probably do, which is, no, don't do that or whatever, or okay, have fun, that type of thing. Um, she said, you hear it, talk back, talk to them. And she encouraged the conversation. She encouraged for me, the connection. And I think that is something that I, I don't think I could ever repay that because that connection never left. And when I say the connection, I do mean to source, source energy, God, whatever the case is. He encouraged me to be one. It wasn't like a, a strange signal or a me being imaginative. It was me being in tune and she encouraged that in tuneness. And for me, it was really powerful. And what was crazy was that I had forgot all about it. <laughs> not about the crows. Um, and let me, let me not say that. I didn't forget about it. It just was not as significant to me as what you pulled. To me, it was just a natural part of life. It was To me, it is every day. It, it was not something that others don't experience. To me, we all do, right? But it was you... <laughs> doing exactly what you said. Wait, go back. Tell me about this particular part. And even then, I remember us going back and forth because I said, it's normal. And you kept saying, it's not. And I kept saying, it is. This is, to me, what we all, what I think we all experience. And what I have learned since our time, because you're right, it, it is. And when I say not normal, it is not traditional. It's not, it is not typical for a lot of people to engage um, in 
in energy and in, in nature and God in, in that way, in a natural, organic way, and to truly live yeah. from that space. And thank you. Thank you for you. You weren't beating me over the head, but thank you for fighting for it. You were sure. And that sureness is what almost commanded the space. And had you not been sure, we would have passed it because I, I naturally would not have went there. I would have. It, it was like you said earlier, it's actually a very intimate space for me. And I normally do not share intimacies, which is probably the reason why I wear so many different types of glasses, because when I'm seen publicly, something about the eyes, I feel naked. So more barriers, mm-hmm. honestly, the better for me. Yeah. A lot of creatives, and this isn't your only creative endeavor, as I had mentioned in the intro, that you are a lawyer by trade, and that's a work profession, and have a law firm, and yet people might not know you as a lawyer, they might know you as a recording artist, and others may not know you as a recording artist, they might know you as an author, and it's interesting how those spaces are separate, and yet they fold into each other. They inform each other, they direct each other, they provide for each other. When people are writing, one of the things I try to encourage them to think about is stop thinking so much. (laughs) What do you mean? I said, you think that books come from your mind. And I try to remind people books come from a deeper place and that books aren't words. And when I say that to people, they're always a little confused. When I say books aren't words, they're messages that words contain. Words are doing the best job to capture something that's actually hard to describe in any way, but we're doing the best we can to put them in words. And that's why I think the poetry, the lyrics, the prose that are all woven in this book helps try its best to capture that. Because when we sat in those sacred spaces, I'll say they're sacred because they felt that way, when we were just unfolding whatever came, and the way in which the book's written has these different sort of almost like movements, almost they have a movement like this, here's where we're in this space and we're moving to this space. But when we're working on the book, we did a lot of talking out. Like we didn't necessarily do a lot of writing for months and months, which as a writing coach, people are always surprised when I don't ask them to write or make them write at all. I just ask them to tell me about this story, tell me about this message. And as often I would share back what you would say in those (laughs) times, I was taking notes, typing, so I knew what you said. And I'd read back. So you said this. You're like, I didn't say that. You knew that's where you were going. <laughs> no, I, I wrote this down. <laughs> I have the recording too. You're like, I'm not listening to that. I'm like, I know. That's why I type these out so I could say them back. But what <laughs> happens when you allow that deepness to come out, you start realizing it. That's why you said, I think, that this isn't, come, this yeah. isn't from me. It, it's not. It, it's Creativity comes from a deeper place. And all the greats always have a sense of, I didn't do this, or at least I didn't do this alone. And they might, people might assume it's a collaboration, but what they mean is it, it's it's a collective collaboration, uh, energetically, when you're writing, when you're present, but you do have to go off and then put words on a page. I, I, I use that time to help bring about the confidence in the, in the creative, to give you a sense of purpose in the work, but not to tell you what should come of it. So what was that like for you? Okay, so we do this work, we're teasing out the concepts, not of a book, but a, of whatever's in front of us. And then the book started to unfold when you would go back into sort of like your writing space and you'd bring back something. What was that like for you? I think 
first of all, I agree that I, I 100% agree that it was a sacred space. And I'm not <laughs> to 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 any one person that actually hears this. I'm not as ornery as it sounds. I just don't like to hear myself or see myself. <laughs> so I know it's going to be like, man, what's wrong with this guy? For me, it probably, I think, two things, I think. One, I think it was slightly a cheap, a hack. And then two, it was, I think it was the only way. So when I say a cheat or a hack, if, uh, because of kind of the creative way that I am or that I walk, I, I felt natural in that space. Right? It, it felt like home for me. It, it would have been foreign for me if you had asked me to write, if you had asked me to go and project or set a goal or something like that. All of those are, are foreign for me. And so that would have made me uncomfortable. So that's why I say it was more of a hack for me because it's, it is, it's my way of being, being in that moment, being present is, is more intense for me and being free in the presence is, is intense for me. And that is what that process was. Um, so I, I do, my heart goes out to those who they are not, that's not how they move because I could see that being very uncomfortable <laughs> and difficult. On the other side, for me, when I say that was the only way, because, as you said, we there was no this wasn't a book, and it, in the most literal sense, I, I hope people can really understand it. Really, was not a book. It, it was nothing in that sense. It, it just was. I think because of that, naturally, and because of unfortunately my personal mindsets, there was no other way for me to join you in that journey, but to be very present and to allow what was to be at every moment. And so it was a beautiful time in my life, honestly. I looked forward to each sacred session, right? I looked forward to shutting down from client work, from requirements that were, were they're all self-imposed, no matter what people think from stepping away from that. And it was truly like transporting, right? It was a lot of work. The part that was work for me was being vulnerable to the extent that I was vulnerable, um, sharing where I normally wouldn't. But again, I think the process that, that you go through allowed me to be vulnerable, but still hide simultaneously. And that really did work. And Yes, I utterly despised when you read stuff back and when you would send the videos. I do have the videos, but I do not look at those videos. I think I looked at <laughs> I think I looked at them. I think I looked at a very specific timestamp because I would take notes sometimes too. And I think I put a timestamp to remember to go back and see what it was that you said was said. And I think that I did that maybe twice. And it was because of whatever exercise that I was doing afterward. So I, for me, it was, it was the way. And I, and I get it. it. It's not for everyone. Yeah. So I'm not saying it is the way. It, it was the way for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the point. Like I have a, a, a method or a system in which I help people. But the main thing I'm trying to do is get them to write in presence. <laughs> And what that means is, for people that aren't certain what I mean by presence, is to let go of the thinking mind. Mm. And because we were so trained around writing to be academic, we weren't trained to write for expression. We weren't trained to write to create art. We weren't trained to write as a way of leaving behind a legacy mm -hmm. 
on this earth or to inspire others or to move them. We were inspired to turn in papers for school as a requirement. So our programming is about that. Our editor brain is in high function. We're constantly thinking about how to fix it before we create it. We're constantly telling ourselves this is good or bad, like making a judgment. And to turn off that voice is most of my work. Most of my work is saying, stop thinking, stop thinking. Just be, be on the page. Thinking gets in the way of more great books than anything else. And I think that's ironic because I could tell intuitively that you'll get this because I'll just, we'll never talk about a book. And that's exactly <laughs> what, we're not talking about a book. We're just going to be doing this work. You're like, okay. And I was like, so interested that you wanted to continue in this work, even though it had no end or no means to be anything. Though I had a clear idea that this could be something, what it was, whether you decided at the end, I'm not, and you told me at the end, I will let you know whether or not this is something I want to attach to, identify with, or be close to. I don't remember the words, but something like that. And as it became to form, when it became form, and we could see it touch and other people could experience it, because it was hard to describe to other people what that sacred space felt like. Because we're sitting in this space, we're talking about really deep concepts that just seem to come from nowhere. And then time would transpire. We're supposed to be on there for 35 minutes. We wake up, or wake up. I'd say wake up because I came out of stupor. And like, are you still on? And it was two and a half hours later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then when Steve met you in Portugal for our author's retreat, our sandbox retreat, where we just were, were in presence with each other, he goes, oh, I get it now. I get why you just would disappear. I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I don't live in a time. The time didn't exist in those moments. And that's where the book unfolded in its own way. When people ask you, and they probably do, um, what's your book about? What do you tell them? I'm still having a, I'm, I'm still having such a hard time with that. I think the descriptions that have been placed on the website and the, the company and things like that, I think they do it really great justice, a way that I could not. And again, I think because I'm having that difficult time with it being like me, mine. And so what I do share with people is that it's a companion, that it's a companion to those who are interested in a different depth in this life to experience a full life journey. I, I've been calling it a life journey lately because I don't want to say life because then you get into the conundrum of life not extinguishing after death and those type of things. And I don't want to say journey because I think it's a little bit too open, but I think when you hyphenate the two, it, it gives you a very specific period to me. And I think that when this work manifested, um, I do think that it was more so about a reawakening. And I say that because I it goes back to almost the conversation about the crows in the beginning where for me, it's natural. I do have an innate sense within myself that we all are in this same place and these same things. And we're all connected to the same energy, whether we agree something exists or not, the same life breath. And I think it throughout our lives, some of us slumber more than others. And I, and so I, it's not like reintroduction. It's not a 
giving you a new concept. It's it literally is almost like a gentle, like a parent who gently wakes a child when they're getting ready for their day. And that's what it feels like to me, that it is this gentle reawakening, not an abrupt. And so you could read it and nothing moved. You could read it and it bring you the tears. You could bring it. And I've had people reach out to me and every line means something different. And I love all of it because it really is for your life journey. Like you said, it's not a self-help. It is, it's, it's not a poem. It's allegory. It's, to me, it's energy. And it is tapping into that energy. And so I think I'm going to have a time. I think it'll be redefined more and more as I um, am asked to, to what it is or within myself continue to revisit it. Um, but for now, I, I do think that it is a, a spiritual reawakening. If I were to be very succinct, I think it is a spiritual re- a reawakening, a companion along that particular life journey. Um, in a very busy and divisive world um, to allow one to be present, allow one to experience the presence um, without being attached to something that could limit them or or harm them or, or cause them damage. And to me, the ultimate damage is not being able to fully be in each moment. That is the damage to me, to be controlled and wielded each way by another or by others or by external. Um, But the power to me that resides in a very full life journey is the power to be in each moment, to be here, you and I, right now. Not what we said 30 seconds ago and not what we're thinking we may say five minutes from now, who may hear it, but truly being present here. And and to me, that's what this work is, where it is a companion to me. Yeah, a companion is a great way to describe it. I hope this inspires those of you who are worried that you don't have a good idea or you're not sure what to write or you think that somehow books should be something that are like created in your mind. You can step forward into creating a book with just a curiosity. In fact, I would say that all creativity comes from a place of the unknown, and curiosity is the only thing that will lead you to that place. It's not from, I know this, so I'll write it. It comes from, I have no idea, so let's go see. So if you're interested in a book that shifts your life, makes you wonder about why you see things the way they do, you do, whether or not there's meaning in this life for you, a companion for that conversation is probably what this book is. I think it's what it was when we were in that space to watch it be created. Stefan, this has been such a joy. I, I think we should have a part two. Because I mean, I think we have okay. more to say. It's just this, I, I think we should do part two, which is what do you do when a book shifts you so much that it starts to mm. change what, where you're going? Because I think that's the conversation I'm interested in. Because it certainly happened to me in writing my first book. I was like, I was writing this for no one, and yet everything about who I am has shifted. And it makes me curious to to have that conversation. But for now, this has been an amazing discovery and openness to Talking to Crows. Find it wherever you can buy your books. It's definitely important to Steve and I. It's the first, very first book on the imprint Rock Rose Press, which is our fiction imprint. Because it didn't fit in nonfiction, and it 
it, it certainly isn't fiction, but we felt like it made more sense there. And we're happy to be alongside you as authors in that space. Thanks again, Stefan. It's been amazing. And I hope that everyone who has a book on their heart Thank actually you. takes the action. Thank you for listening to another episode of Authors Who Lead. I'm Asul Taronis. We appreciate you. Please subscribe so you can get the notification that we have new episodes every week. And go to authorswholead.com to learn about our show notes and all of our backlists of amazing authors we've interviewed since the beginning of this podcast. Thank you and have an amazing day.